This is the Stand with Lynette podcast. You have episode nine, sleep, move, repeat. What would your life be like if you knew you could stand firmly on the covenant path, come what may? My name is Lynette Shepard, and I am here to help you do just that. If you are a Latter-day Saint woman with a desire to brighten your faith as the world grows darker, you are in the right place. Together, let's stand. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Stand with Lynette podcast. I can't wait to dive into today's topic, sleep, move, repeat. But before I do that, I would like to share the review of the week from Sarah Ann G. She says, I have really enjoyed listening to this podcast. It feels like a hug to my soul. I have felt so confused and overwhelmed by the loud voices of the world and social media. This podcast brings it to a beautiful, simple testimony of faith. Thank you for speaking up and sharing your testimony. Well, thank you, Sarah and G, for this beautiful, amazing review. If you will contact me via a DM on Instagram or via email or via my website, there's a contact form, lynettesheppard.com. Let me know that I featured your review and I would be happy to send you a special gift as a thank you. And for all of you other listeners out there, if you would like to be featured as a reviewer of the week and earn a special gift from me by doing so, then leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with me your biggest takeaway so far. And if you do that, then maybe I will share your review and send you a special gift. So thank you for all those ratings and reviews. It really helps me to find more people who are ready to hear my message and who I can help. So thank you for doing that. Please keep those reviews coming. All right, my friends, the topic for today is sleep, move, repeat. As I mentioned before, for the next few weeks over the summer, we are going to be focusing on different self-care fundamentals or fundies, as I like to call them, and how each one of these things comes back to our spirits and our faith and how we can combine practical daily things to help us to increase our ability to show up in the spiritual aspects of our lives as well. Last week, we talked about how what we eat affects that, and this week, we're going to talk about sleep and movement and how, how those two things affect our overall well-being, which again comes back to our spirituality and the way that we show up in all areas of our life across the board. So with that in mind, let's dive into the topic of sleep. Now, I know this can be a tricky one, depending on your current stage of life. And I've been there with the little kids and It's definitely a challenge when you have little kids to get enough sleep, especially if you have babies who don't sleep very well. It makes it very, very challenging. And if you have multiple kids, maybe you have a baby and you've got other young kids at home. And so it's not like you can just sleep in until you want to get up in the morning because you've got to get up and take care of those other littles. So I know that this is definitely a challenge. I'm kind of at a different stage in life with teenagers where it's also challenging in a different way to get enough sleep. So maybe you can relate to the littles, maybe you can relate to the teenagers, but this, let me give you an example of how it looks at my house late at night sometimes. I will often say, it's late, 
I'm going to bed. Maybe it's 10.30. Maybe it's 11. Maybe it's 11.30. And one of the teenagers will say, wait, no, mom, you can't go to bed now. I need to talk to you. And 45 minutes later, I'm still listening to stories. I'm drying tears. I'm trying to convince a teenager that things will work out and that tomorrow will be better. And then when the crisis is averted, averted, it takes a few minutes for me to settle back down and get into bed, let alone fall asleep. This is something that is repetitive in my life. My teenagers think that late at night is the time for them to just unload all of their problems. And that's kind of a challenge for me because I am not a night person. I'm much more of a morning person. And it's hard for me to show up at my best at that time of night. Um, but it also puts a crimp in my in my mornings because I get up early and I exercise and five o'clock comes early on those days. And so a lot of times if I get to bed at 11.30 or at midnight, then I will rationalize myself out of exercise because I'm tired. But if I don't get up and exercise first thing in the morning, I know that I'm probably not going to get to it because I've tried this enough times to know that I will talk myself out of it nine times out of 10, unless it's the first thing that I do in the morning. But where does that leave me then if what Matthew Walker, who's the author of Why We Sleep, if what he says is true, then where does that leave me? He says, the best bridge between despair and hope is a good night's sleep. Can you relate to that? <laughs> I can absolutely relate to that. The best bridge between despair and hope is a good night's sleep. But what about those of us who struggle to get a good night's sleep because of a variety of factors? Maybe the kids in our lives, maybe our teenagers, maybe our little kids, maybe we just struggle with insomnia or whatever. Where does that leave us? Let's first talk about what a good night's sleep is. What is it anyway? Why is it important? How can we get adequate sleep as parents of teens, as parents of littles? All the things. The National Institute of Sleep recommends between seven and nine hours of sleep per night for adults, eight to 10 hours for teens ages 14 through 17, and nine to 11 hours for kids aged six to 13. That is the amount that is necessary for replenishing our bodies, keeping us healthy, and keeping our minds sharp and our moods stable. One study of 10,000 adults discovered that the risk of developing depression is five times greater in people who struggle with insomnia. Likewise, insomniacs are 20 times more likely than the average person to develop a panic disorder. Insomnia is not the only culprit. However, temporary decreases in sleep can also have a dramatic impact on our mood. One study at the University of Pennsylvania discovered that subjects with limited sleep for one week, four and a half hours per night for one week, reported feeling more stressed, more angry, more sad, more mentally exhausted. After they resumed normal sleep patterns, they reported drastic improvements in their overall mood. My personal experience leads me to believe that the results of this study have got to be correct. For the past year and a half, I have been tracking my sleep with a cool little device that I love called an Aura Ring. And 
the Aura Ring gives me loads of information about my sleep. It also tracks my steps. It tracks my heart rate. It tracks all sorts of things. It gives me all sorts of information about my health, but a lot of it happens while I'm sleeping. It tracks all sorts of things while I'm sleeping. And it is fascinating. So in the time that I have worn the string and kind of looked at the data every day, I have learned that even when I spend seven or maybe even eight hours in bed, I do not get that much sleep. If I spend about seven hours in bed, I generally only sleep for between five and a half to six and a half hours. I had no idea that I was awake for a few minutes here and there throughout the night, and that adds up to an hour or sometimes more than an hour every night. But I can tell you, based on my energy and my mood the following day, that five and a half hours is not enough. Six and a half hours is better, but on the nights where I get seven hours of sleep or more, it makes a dramatic difference in how I feel the next day. I have been doing this, like I said, for about a year and a half, tracking my sleep, and I have recently learned this lesson all over again. I've learned it several times throughout the past year and a half, but we are kind of coming into the summertime right now, which is the heat time here in Phoenix where I live. It gets very hot. And my exercise of choice is hiking outside. I don't really love being in a gym. The being outside fuels my soul. I use that time for prayer, for meditation. It's as much for my physical health or for my spiritual health as, as it is for my physical health, if not more so. So I really thrive on having that outside time. And in the summertime here, it's too hot to do that unless you go really early in the morning. So all winter long, I was going at around 7 a.m. most days. As When the sun was up, I didn't want to hike alone in the dark. And so I would go around 7 a.m. And so I would wake up maybe like 6.30 a.m. And, uh, and go at 7. And on the days that I was able to sleep in till 6.30, I got around seven hours of sleep almost every night. And again, with summer upon us, I have recently, within the past couple of weeks, started going hiking around 5.30 or 5.45 in the morning instead of 7 or 7.30. And so that means that I have to set my alarm for around 5.20 instead of 6.30, which means that I am getting an hour less sleep every night, assuming that I go to bed at the same time. And I have been reminded in a dramatic way as I have had this decrease of about an hour of sleep that it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. It's massive. I cannot believe how much less energetic I feel and how much more tired I am. And often on those days, I have to take a nap in the middle of the day because I'm just dragging so much. So that hour is absolutely significant for me. But it's hard to go to bed earlier because I have teenagers and so they make it tricky, like I said at the beginning. But speaking of teenagers, maybe if you have them, you will find this fun fact interesting. In a 2006 poll by the National Sleep Foundation, 87% of teens reported getting far less than the recommended 8 to 10 hours of sleep per night. Far less. 
I know my teens do not get eight to 10 hours of sleep per night, but maybe that's why the American Academy of Pediatrics in a 2014 report called The Growing Problem of Tired Teens, a public health epidemic. Interesting. A public health epidemic. I wonder if the, the, the growing trend, or at least the absolute trend of having adults getting far less than the recommended amount of sleep is also a public health epidemic. But Back to the teenagers for just a minute. They are biologically wired to stay up later than their younger and older counterparts. And that combined with the pressure to succeed in school, to build an impressive resume, to be involved in extracurriculars of all the varieties, and to get into the college of their dreams, makes it easy to see why so many teens are giving up sleep for other seemingly more important pursuits. In addition to that, most teens have smartphones, which can become, as we know, massive distractions, especially at night, if they are sleeping with their phone in their room at night. In 2011, the Sleep Foundation did a poll where researchers discovered that 72% of teens bring their smartphones into their bedrooms at night and use them while trying to drift off to sleep. 28% leave their phones on while they are asleep and are awakened by calls, texts, and notifications. Interesting. So maybe we need to be mindful about whether or not we're letting our teens have their phones in their bedrooms at night, because according to this poll, it's absolutely affecting the quality of their sleep. And if your teens are like mine, maybe they stay out late on the weekends and then they try to make up for that weekly deficit of a lack of sleep by sleeping in extra on the weekends. And maybe you do that as well. I know that that my husband is a pediatric dentist and he has to be at work between six and seven every day. So he leaves home on some days at 5.40 and on some days at 6.40. And then he is serving as the bishop of our ward currently. And so he often has interviews and youth activities and other things that go until 9, sometimes 9.30 at night. And so he comes home just absolutely exhausted, falls into bed, doesn't get adequate sleep. And then, you know, anyway, he tries to make up for it on the weekends. He's like, I just want to sleep in on Saturday because Sunday he has 6.30 a.m. meetings. So maybe you also find this. Researcher, sleep researcher Mary Karskadon She calls this practice of trying to make up for lost time on the weekends, for lost sleep on the weekends, a social jet lag. It creates a social jet lag. She explained it this way. Every day we teach our internal circadian timing system what time it is. Is it day or night? And if the message is substantially different every day, then the clock isn't able to set things appropriately in motion. In the last few years, we have learned there is a master clock in the brain, but there are other clocks in the other organs, like liver or kidneys or lungs. So the master clock is the coxswain trying to get everyone to work together to improve efficiency and health. So if the coxswain is changing the pace, all the crew becomes disorganized and don't function well. This disrupted rhythm, as well as a shortage of sleep, can have far-reaching effects on adolescent health and well-being. It certainly plays into learning and memory. It plays into appetite and metabolism and weight gain. It plays into mood and emotions, which are already heightened at that age. It also plays into risk behaviors, taking risks while driving, taking risks while with substances, taking risks maybe with sexual activity. So the more we look outside, the more we're learning about the core role that sleep plays. Close quote. She's talking about teenagers, but I think we can apply this to ourselves as adults too. Sleep absolutely affects everything. 
It affects everything. It affects how we feel. It affects how our bodies function. It affects all the things, right? So it's absolutely vital, which is maybe why the Lord tells us in Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verse 124, to retire to our beds early that we may not be weary, arise early that our bodies and minds may be invigorated. What does that even mean to have our bodies and minds be invigorated? The Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which I often use when we're looking at things like the scriptures and especially the Doctrine and Covenants, because this is around the time that Joseph Smith was recording those revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants. And so I look at what the 1828 Dictionary defines invigorate as. It says to strengthen, to animate, to give life and energy to. So if invigorating means to give life, sleep gives us life according to the Doctrine and Covenants when the Lord tells us to go to bed early and arise early so that our heart, our bodies and minds may be invigorated so that we may have life. But it is clear based on current research and obvious trends that most people are not getting enough sleep. So what can we do about that? As adults, we can take notice of our evening routines and our priorities. How do we spend our time at night? Do we maybe prioritize entertainment, work, or other pursuits over sleep? I know that I absolutely do this. Sometimes at the end of the day, I just want to veg on the couch and watch a show and just not have to even think about anything. This is kind of sometimes that's how I unwind. That's how I want to just like chill at night before bed. In a brave moment a few months ago, I prayed to ask the Lord what I could give up to grow closer to him. And the answer that I clearly heard was, Stop staying up late watching TV. And then I remembered President Russell M. Nelson's counsel to the women of the church in his October 2019 General Conference address. He told them that to access the power of God, they would need to, quote, say no to some things, even though they may seem harmless. But giving up my nightly appointment with Netflix did not seem to be that big of a deal. That was my time to decompress, to relax, to watch a show with my family before bed. So at that point, I did not follow the counsel of the spirit. And it nagged me for a really long time. And honestly, it still does sometimes, even though I have tried to do better, especially in recent weeks after realizing how much different I feel with that one extra hour of sleep. It makes such a massive impact in how I feel the next day that I am more motivated to say, okay, I really don't need that hour at night with the TV. And honestly, I would fall asleep watching a show like eight times out of 10. (laughs) If you put me on a couch in front of a TV at night when I'm tired, I'm not going to stay up. I'm not going to stay awake most of the time. So I really wasn't even getting the benefit of the entertainment, but I was not getting the adequate sleep that I needed. So that makes a difference. So I ask you, do you have anything in your life that may be keeping you from getting a nourishing night's sleep 
every night. Are you prioritizing entertainment or work over sleep? Is there anything you can change in your life to give you more sleep time? And the answers to those questions, they will be different based on your current stage of life and your personal circumstances. Sometimes connection with teenagers or caring for young children will take precedence over sleep. I think sometimes those things need to take precedence over sleep, but other times a pressing deadline or a project might be a priority and disrupt our sleep for a time. But I challenge you to carefully and prayerfully consider what you can do in your life to make time for adequate rejuvenating sleep so that your body and mind may be invigorated so that you can feel more life because those things will give you life so you can feel more energized. Here are a few suggestions to consider as you think about what you might change. One is do not exercise within two hours of bedtime. That makes it harder to go to sleep. Number two is to reduce or avoid caffeine eight hours before bedtime. That might be a challenge for some people. Three is to avoid eating two to four hours before bed, because if we eat right before bed, our bodies are focusing so much on trying to digest that food in our stomachs that it takes us longer to get into the rejuvenating rest and digest part of sleep. I've learned that by wearing my aura ring on the nights that I do that, that I have a meal too close to bedtime, my heart rate lowers really late in the night. And that lowest section of heart rate, when your heart rate hits a low and then starts climbing up again, that that end part, you know, after your heart rate hits a low, that's the part where you're actually rejuvenating. And many nights, if I don't, if I eat too close to, to bedtime, then it's like two hours before I wake up in the morning that my body actually starts to really rejuvenate because it's working too hard to digest that food. So that's something to consider. Also, number four, turn off screens and blue light an hour before bed because that blue light mimics daylight and it makes it harder for your body to get into that sleep state. Number five is to spend a few minutes in prayer and meditation before bed. Try to calm your body and your mind before you lay down. Six is to create a nourishing evening ritual that will prepare your mind and body for sleep. Seven is to create an environment that is conducive to sleep that includes darkness, cooler temperatures, and a comfortable and supportive bed. And number eight is to track your sleep because again, you might be surprised at how much you are actually getting as opposed to how much you are in bed. Now, like I've said before, having a house full of teens make it makes it kind of tricky for me to get the seven hours of sleep that I really need to feel at my best, but I've learned by experience how important it is and how how did I even function on five and a half hours? That's what I was getting routinely for a long time. And now that I know the difference between five and a half hours and seven hours, I crave the seven hours. So think about that based on your current circumstances. Think about that. And remember that sleep matters. It makes a difference. So how can you prioritize it? Okay, let's move on to movements. Why does movement matter? How does that play into our self-care routine? Several years ago, I started going to the gym with my daughter at 5 a.m. before school. 
Um, we started working with the trainer in a small group setting, and it was the first time in my life that I had been consistent with exercise. Though the workouts were always difficult and waking up at 4.15 to get to the gym was a challenge of epic proportions, especially given what I just taught you about sleep. I actually started to look forward to my time at the gym because I felt amazing after those workouts. My daughter did not like the gym. She hated it. With every bone in her body, she hated it. She had never been one to enjoy anything that required any level of discomfort. Even as a baby and a toddler, she would complain loudly at the slightest hint of discomfort. And as we all know, exercise is often uncomfortable and sometimes even painful, which was against everything she believed to be good and right in this world. She did not enjoy exercise of any kind, but I knew that she needed to be active for the good of her physical and mental health. So I gave her an ultimatum. She could get involved in some kind of physical activity of her choosing, or she could come to the gym with me. For lack of a better idea, she decided that she was going to come to the gym with me. And at first it was like pulling teeth to get her to the gym because Going at 4.15 in the morning, or I'm sorry, we left about 4.30. So getting up at 4.15 in the morning to leave by 4.30 to get to the gym by 5. It was the gym was a little bit of a drive from our house. Was not easy for me as an adult, and it was certainly not easy for her. She was about 14 or 15 at the time, and she complained about getting up early. But she did it, and Usually, she was angry when she got into the car, and she refused to say a single word to me on the ride to the gym. Then, after we were finished with the workout, she was a completely new person. Some of the best talks that we have ever had happened in the car on the way home from the gym. She felt awesome, and because of that, she learned to tolerate our early trips to the gym without too much complaining. If exercise can transform a grumpy teenager at 4.30 in the morning to a pleasant, mature, talkative young woman, then there must be something magical about it. It turns out that the magic is in the feel-good chemicals that exercise releases in our brains. But if exercise makes us feel amazing, could the opposite also be true? In his book, Even Happier, positive psychologist Tal Ben-Shahar writes, not exercising is like taking a depressant. Again, not exercising is like taking a depressant. Do you know anyone who would willingly take a depressant? I do not. Most people do not want to be depressed, but that is essentially what happens when we choose a sedentary lifestyle. But many Americans are living that sedentary lifestyle, including myself, until a few years ago. This was just my default. The average number of steps per day for Americans is 4,774 steps. That is on average. But according to Kelly McGonigal in her book, The Joy of Movement, walking less than 5,649 steps per day increases anxiety and depression while decreasing feelings of satisfaction. So that 5,649 steps per day is the, the depression and anxiety threshold. We have to get more than that if we want to stay ahead of the depression and anxiety curve. But as a society, we are not meeting that. 
Again, the average is 4,774 steps per day. For the past about a year and a half, I have been tracking my steps with the help of my aura ring that I love. And my goal has been to meet the depression threshold every day. I'm just overshooted just a little bit by 6,000 steps. That is my goal every day. And on the days that I wake up early in the morning and I hike, I meet that easily before breakfast. But other days when I sleep in, when I get to bed too late, when I skip my hike, and then I just sit at my computer all day long because that is typical. That is my job is a lot of sitting at a computer, a lot of writing, a lot of creating, and it's fairly sedentary. And on those days where I don't get that hike in and I just do my normal sitting for long periods of time, I am usually about on par with the average of 4,774 steps per day. On those days, I notice that I feel a little stir crazy. I feel, my body can feel the difference. I feel like I just need to move. Um, but I've also learned that on the days where maybe I don't get that hike in, but maybe I go to the store, maybe I clean my house, maybe I'm just up, you know, moving around in the afternoon, going from room to room in my house and doing just movement rather than sitting sedentary at my computer that my step count is significantly higher on those days. So exercise is great. It is focused movement. It is an event throughout the day a lot of times, whether it's for me a hike or maybe you go to the gym or maybe you go on a run or maybe you go for a walk in the mornings or whatever. And that is good and that is important for us to get that aerobic exercise where we're getting our heart rate up. But as far as just movement in general, anything counts towards that goal of 5,000 649 steps per day. If we want to take care of our mental health and that is the threshold we must meet, we can meet that by doing any kind of movement. Again, going to the store, cleaning our house, walking to the mailbox, walking to the backyard. All of this counts in our movement for the day to meet that. So I ask you, how are you doing? Are you staying above the depression threshold in your life with movement? Are you getting 5,679 steps per day? <laughs> and if not, what can you do? What little tweaks can you do? And maybe that means you're sitting at your computer because like me, again, I spend a lot of time at my computer. And maybe if I just set a little reminder to remind me every hour to get up and move, which if I leave my app open for my aura ring, it will remind me of that. It will send a little reminder. Hey, it looks like you need to stretch your legs. And then I can just get up and walk around my room for a minute or whatever, walk to the kitchen, get a drink of water, do whatever, just move. So what does this mean for our spirituality? How does this play back into our spirituality? Well, we know that mental health and emotional health are absolutely connected to spiritual health. And if we can do what we can to get enough sleep, which absolutely plays in to our mental and emotional health, and if we can do what we can to move our bodies adequately, to exercise 
to do what we can to keep our heart strong, but also to keep above the depression threshold by walking at least 5,649 steps per day or just round it up to 6,000 and try to get that every single day. If that's what research says, helps us to, to stay above that depression and anxiety th- threshold. And that will absolutely help our spiritual health as well. Now, I understand that there are lots of different factors that play into mental health and emotional health. And I'm not saying that this is going to cure all of them. But research has shown that both sleep and exercise combined with what we eat, what we talked about last week, and other factors that we will get to, they all play in. They can absolutely support our physical health and our emotional health and our mental health and all of those things support our spiritual health. So let's do what we can. And you can absolutely, obviously support that with counseling, with medication, with other things that help. But let's do these self-care practices that we can and see what that does to our spirituality. From my experience, the results of these small and simple practices are astounding. With that in mind, my shine challenge for you this week is to track your steps. Track your steps. Do you have any way to track your steps? You can get an inexpensive pedometer on Amazon. If you have your phone in your pocket, you can have, there's like the, the Apple Health app will automatically tra- track those steps for you. Um, I'm sure Android has something similar or you can download an app that counts your steps. Count your steps. See where you're at. Are you meeting that depression threshold? And if not, how can you meet it? All right, my friends, thanks for being here. I look forward to seeing you back here next time where we will talk about breath and how to stay present. So far in our self-care fundies, we've talked about eat, sleep, and move. Those affect our physical body. Breath is the bridge between our body and our minds. And so we're going to get into the self-care fundies that support our minds and our spirits. And so I can't wait to get into that. And I will see you back here next time. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. If you are ready to dive in deeper and join the stand movement, find me on Instagram at Lynette Shepard. That's two N's, two P's, and an A-R-D, or at LynetteShepard.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That works wonders in helping us to find the people that we can help. Thank you again, and remember, you were born to stand. See you next time.